Now then, I've already caused a, a crackling of the microphone. Good morning. As Paul has said, my name's Paul. And um, as Paul also said, I'm one of the pastors here. But Paul's Paul, and I am Paul. So uh, <laughs> that's a good way of doing it. I have the privilege of uh, my job role is um, being one of the pastors for the 10 a.m. congregation. And um, big whoop-whoop for the 10 a.m.ers. And as we go on and forward into all that God has for King's Church Hastings, into four venues, Bexhill, 6 o'clock church, uh, St. Leonard's, we still have 10 a.m. And I love 10 a.m. I love everyone. I love all the others. Don't worry. But my kind of like, my role is in 10 a.m. And I'm so looking forward to what God's going to do among us in the uh, good old Hastings 10 a.m. group. So, thank you... To start with, thank you for inviting us in to be a part of you guys. What I mean by that is I know I had interviews and stuff and there was a great process to make sure that we fitted Kings and that Kings fitted us. But um, on our arrival, we've been here five months and as a family, we felt so welcomed. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for making my daughter feel welcome, for my son to be made welcome, for my lovely wife to be made to feel welcome and for me as well. So... Give yourself a pat on the back for being such a welcoming church. Seriously, there are some places that you would not find that. Don't take for granted the the years of what's been built in. Don't take for granted who we are as a group of people. It's good to be part of King's Church Hastings. It genuinely is. As a a newbie coming in, it genuinely is. So um, like, like, give, give the person next year a pat on the back. Say, well done. It's all right to do that. It's okay to celebrate the good that God's done among us and the good that he's done in us. Okay, so we're going to continue this morning our series on Acts. And um, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to get your Bible out. And um, in a moment, I might actually need to borrow a Bible. The only one that I could (laughs) I've lost my normal preaching Bible. The only one that I can find is this, the world's smallest Bible. When you reach the tender age of 41, I am 41. I know I don't look it. I am 41. Uh, yeah, that works well. Um, th- that was the only Bible I could find. It's really small. So in a moment, I might have to nick someone else's Bible, so I can, one that I can actually read. But uh, we're going to go from Acts chapter 16 in a moment. And um, I'm going to ask you to turn to that in your Bibles. But... Um, to start with, let's just have a quick look at this word partnership, because partnership is one of these words that we're going to pull out a bit, and we're going to explore what it means to be in partnership with God around a certain area of what God calls us and asks us to do. In a dictionary, I have to turn to the dictionary quite a lot, just to let you know, partnership it says the state or condition of being a partner, participation, association, or joint interest. So partnership, it, it can't really work on your own. It has to work with other people. I've got a few examples of sometimes how partnership doesn't work so well. Um, I think these guys should have had a quick chat before they decided what to put on the back of their motorcycle. They'd obviously been to Aldi or Lidl and just picked up Sunday roast, something like that. But I think they should have a bit of a discussion on maybe a better way to carry the shopping home on on a Sunday afternoon. Here's another one. I really hope they did have a discussion before they got on their motorcycles and decided to carry a ladder over their head between the perfect distance of of whatever that looks like. Partnership kind of working all right there. I think they should have had a chat. 
This one, I'm sorry, this one is by far the best one for me. I love this. Here we go. So you've got two guys up a ladder, right? You've got one at the top, the other one's just below him, which isn't a good idea, two people being on a ladder anyway, trying to fix the same bit. But the funny thing I find is that there's another ladder leaned up against the building. Why did they not kind of like just spend a moment, really, to kind of decide that it would be a good idea to pull the other ladder up and it just use two ladders, let's, let's kind of be honest. So there are times when partnership, it's an interesting journey. Now, I'm 41, as I've, I've already said, and sometimes when I get together with my mates and, um, and that kind of thing, we end up, I don't know if you guys do this, we end up talking about old TV programs and the stuff we used to love watching. And I know that like in the 70s and 80s, um, there were some classic TV programs where partnership was modelled really, really well. I don't know if you guys know some of these. Cagney and Lacey. Anyone remember Cagney and Lacey? Absolutely brilliant. Terrible. I could, I mean, absolutely brilliant. Cagney and Lacey. You had these guys. Who knows who these are? So these are the two cats from Thundercats, Wiley Kit and Wiley Cat. One of the best duos ever in TV history. That's gone quiet. There's obviously a bit of a dispute. Who remember these? Mork and Mindy. Absolutely brilliant. Nanu, Nanu. And all this kind of stuff. Superb. Who remembers these? Batfink and Karate. So a great duo. Do you know what? I'm, I'm realising actually that when sometimes when you get to 41, you realise that some of your TV choices are now more like history than they are kind of relevant. And it's like, yeah, okay, I see some faces of young people. I'm glad I grew up when I did and not when this bloke did. So that was Batfink and Karate. And these guys. I knew they'd be an ah. Kevin and Paul from The Wonder Years. And uh, I used to love The Wonder Years. And it was just a brilliant, brilliant program. This idea of partnership where it works really, really well is just superb. Absolutely superb. We are going to be looking at this morning um, partnership. There's a guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, called Bill Gates. I'm sure most of us would have heard of Bill Gates. Here's a quote from Bill Gates. He said this, Our success has really been based on partnership from the very beginning. So Bill Gates, one of the richest men on planet Earth, attributes a lot of his success down to the fact that he knows what it's like to partner with people. Partnership is in the basis of how he built his business, how he built his fortune, working alongside, learning to work with other people. So this idea of partnership is actually something worth grasping hold of. It's worth grasping hold of. So what we're going to look at this morning is Acts 16. And what we're going to look at is partnering with God in mission. I think it's superb how we've got a God that doesn't want to do it all himself. I'm sure he would have the choice to just do it all himself. But he doesn't. He wants to do it with us. There's stuff he wants to partner with us. And I love the fact that that we have a God who totally accepts us as who we are. And he just loves the fact that we just want to do it with him. We just want to journey it. We just want to start a great adventure of his mission together with him. 
and just cracking on with it. And I think it's all right when we get it wrong. And I think it's all right when we get it right. I just think that there's a God in the room, everywhere, that just loves the fact that we just want to spend time with him and just do stuff with him. So at the start, of well, before we look at mission and things like that, the Bible talks about, a lot about persecution and mission and things, and that does come. But part of me just thinks, I've had some great times doing stuff with God and seeing people become Christians. I've had some great times visiting other countries where you just see God at work. And sometimes you get the persecution, but sometimes actually you don't as well. I hope I'm not speaking unbiblically. The Bible does talk about persecution. But I just want to lift the lid on some of this and perhaps just say, missions are right. Evangelism's are right. Sometimes it feels a bit scary to do. But on the other side of it, it might be all right. I'm kind of, I guess I'm the kind of character that's a bit of a have a go, that kind of thing. But the other side of some of this stuff, it might be all right, it might be good. So sometimes when we feel like we're a bit worried about mission or that kind of stuff, it's good to sometimes just say, yeah, but it might be okay. Hopefully, out of the, some of the stuff we're going to bring out this morning, I can back that up with some stuff in the Bible. Anyway, let's turn to Acts 16. I'm going to read, to start with, Acts 16, 1 through to around 12. No, actually, I'll do the whole lot, 1 through to 15. If I can see the smallest Bible in the world and actually read from it, I'm going to have a go. Here we go. No, I can't. (laughs) Can I borrow your Bible? Is that okay? This is from the ESV. Yeah, that's loads better. That is a lot better. Paul came also. Is that Derby? No. Paul came also to Durban, to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. He was a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who knew who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in number. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to, it's nothing like giving been given your first bit of Bible that has 12 different place names in, is there? And when they had come up to Mycia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in that night. A man from Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail for Troas, we made, a di- we made the distant voyage to, oh, here's another one, Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate on the riverside. 
where we were supposed to be there for the place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard, was, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of, another one, somewhere, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So this is the start of Paul's second mission trip. I think Paul did about four mission trips altogether, and he did one. And so this is kind of the start of the second mission trip. The book of Acts tells us Paul's different mission journeys, during which I'm sure he learned so, so much. Paul's first mission trip was with Barnabas and Mark, and they sought to take the gospel to different regions of Asia Minor. But by, by, by the end of this journey, Mark had left the tour, and Paul and Barnabas, set, Barnabas settled in Antioch for around three years, during which different theological matters are resolved, and discussions of a second mission trip are started to be had. Thank you. <laughs> during these talks, Paul and Barnabas have an argument, should Mark go with them or not? And they decide that Mark should on one hand and shouldn't on the other. So there's a dispute. And, uh, and the guys go their separate ways. And the Bible focuses mainly on where Paul goes on his mission trip. And so this is the start of the second mission trip in chapter 16. The return to the regions of the first mission trip, but with a few diversions along the way. So we're going to see what chapter 16 can open up to us, what we can learn from Paul's experience of partnering with God on mission. What it means for God to involve us in such a great adventure to see lives, regions, countries changed. What a great mission. Like, well, you know, sometimes you can become a bit familiar with, with stuff. I don't know if you can. Sometimes you can become a bit familiar with with language and words and, and when you're in church. But if you think for a moment, there is a God who sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, that we can have a relationship with God. But it doesn't end there. He invites us on mission to go and just tell others that our experience, what, what an amazing opportunity, what a great adventure to be invited into. So what kind of things can we learn from Paul's mission trip, from this second one? I think there's a place where there's four different areas of how did Paul know where to go? So when you're starting out on mission, how do you know where to go? What, who do you listen to? This kind of thing. And there are four different areas in chapter 16 that we can pull out a bit of advice. The first bit, I love the fact that Paul's a guy who just simply used his common sense. Paul could have sat there for hours, days, years, thinking, come on God, tell me where I'm to go. Tell me where my first step on this second journey should be. But he didn't. He literally took who and what he had in his hands. I'm not saying that Paul was a giant and that he was carrying loads of people. What I mean by that is his sphere of influence, his sphere of friendships, the people that he knew. He started off by thinking, right, I've done one journey already. I'm going to hear the call to go. 
I know. I'll just go and see those guys again. And so he starts off by simply using his common sense. For me, sometimes common sense is one of those things that is in short supply at times. And um, I remember when we lived in Huntingdon, um, I came downstairs one time. I think Roz and, and the kids had gone out. And um, I smelled gas in the kitchen. And I was like, you know when you smell gas in the kitchen and you think, oh, no, I need to call the gas guy. So our, our gas thing was in the cupboard under the stairs. So I opened it up and there was a really strong smell. And I was like, right, common sense is now telling me what I need to do is phone the gas man. So Roz took the kids out. Before she went, I was like, can you smell something? She was like, yeah, I'm not sure. And I was like, no, man of the house, I think I can smell gas. We need to get this issue sorted out. So um, Roz and that go out. I call the gas man. An hour later, the gas man rushes in. Where's the gas? Where's the smell? What's going on? Don't touch any lights, all this kind of thing. And I'm like, I can smell gas underneath the cupboard in the stairs. Can you have a look? Purposely kept the door shut. He opened it up and he was like, I can smell something, but it's not gas. And I'm like, no, I can smell gas. And he's like, no, it really isn't. I think it's your walking boots in the corner of the cupboard. And I'm like, oh, you are joking. I just put an old pair of walking boots in the back of the cupboard. And because we were going walking or something like that a few days later. And I felt so embarrassed. The fact that this guy had come all the way out and, um, <laughs> from the gas board. And I, I just, you know, you had these awkward silences. And it was like, I don't quite know what to do. It wasn't gas. It was my old walking boots. So for me, sometimes common sense is in short supply. But there are times when I do have common sense. And I love the fact that Paul used it. But then when you look at Paul's history, what we've got to remember is that probably, subconsciously or not, a lot of Paul's common sense was so biblically based anyway. He had such a strong biblical foundation that works in your life, that worked in his life. And I believe that the Bible is living and active. I believe that as we just read it, as we hear it, as we discover it, as we pull it apart, so much of it, probably more than we realise, just becomes part of who we are. It changes how we think over time. It changes our attitudes. It changes how we live and breathe. Well, no, not live and breathe, but kind of like, it just changes our perceptions on stuff. There's something wonderful about the Bible, that the more we open it up, the more we discover it, it adds to our common sense. God, I don't know what you would call it, God common sense. And we just start naturally living this stuff out. So Paul starts off his second trip simply by going back to the place where he started. I think sometimes, for me, it's easier, for some reason, to forget the people that are in our sphere to forget the people that are in our hands and just think mission is about all the people that we don't know. I don't know if anyone else is like that. Perhaps that's just me. For me, it's kind of like, our oh, mission. No, it's about the people outside of who I actually know. But sometimes mission is about the people in our family that don't yet know who Jesus is. The people kind of like in our street that don't know who Jesus is. For me, sometimes I can forget who I have in my sphere and just simply start there. But for some reason, it's, it's more difficult to talk to people that really know us about this stuff. I don't know what it is about it. There's just something about it. 
But sometimes it's good to start with the people that we know. So in terms of mission, in terms of partnering with God in mission, it's not all about the projects that are out there. It's about the lifestyle that we live with the people around us and starting there. Once Paul has engaged his brain and simply goes, then this whole thing of momentum starts. Have you ever tried to drive a car? I used to have a Fiat. It was really old and it didn't have power steering. And when when you're sat still, when you're trying to steer it, when a car sat still, it was like driving a tank. You just couldn't move the steering wheel. You couldn't guide it. But once you'd started moving... The steering was really simple and really easy. There is something about momentum. There is something about beginning to walk that perhaps makes guidance just that bit easier. But if I'm always standing there and sitting there and never moving, just thinking, come on, God, guide me, come on, God, guide me, come on, God, guide me, well, I'm not going anywhere to be guided because I'm just sitting idle. But when I'm moving, there is something about movement Where God then comes in and says, right, you're going, here's where we're going. Here's where we're going to go. So the next bit on how Paul kind of got an idea, right, where do I go with all this stuff, is this. Open and closed doors. In verse 7, it shows us that the Holy Spirit closed the door on a visit to Bithynia. So Paul's going, he's making the journey. And it says in this bit of the Bible that literally the Holy Spirit or Jesus closed the door for them not to go to that area. Have you ever walked into a closed door? Anyone done that? Yeah? We used to have a dog, a Doberman, and we used to have the patio doors. And you know the classic kind of thing where you see a dog run into a patio door when he thinks it's open and it's not. You just hear a great bang and the dog looking kind of like, what on earth just happened there? When you walk into a closed door, it's because it's closed I know it sounds really, I know it sounds simple, but, but Jesus closed the door, and so they didn't go through it, and that was a right. They didn't constantly try and open the door, and they didn't feel guilty about not being able to go through the door. And they weren't trying in their own efforts, thinking, God wants us to do everything all the time. For me, open and closed doors simply confirms the fact that God doesn't expect us to do it all on on our own. We can't do it all on our own. It's too big a mission. Perhaps that closed door was someone else's open door. Perhaps that closed door they come to a bit later. But for that moment, in that period of time, they listened Paul listened to this open and closed idea or noticed this open and closed idea and just said, you know what, we're not to go there at the minute. Okay, where do we go then? What's next? Where, where are you taking us? But the fact is that there was momentum and there was a starting and a beginning to listen to. God, where, where are you taking us in? What's next? Where are we to go? Acts 14, 27 talks about another door of faith that was opened to the Gentiles So there is this idea where some doors are closed and some doors are open. And if you're one of those people that kind of like, for the right reasons actually, 
feel like you, sh- you should always say yes to everything that comes your way, sometimes it's just good to pray and say, right, God, what, what do you want for me at this t- moment in time? Sometimes no is okay, but yes is good. Do you get, do you get what I mean by that idea? I'm then not saying that we say no to everything because mission is about momentum and on a journey. All I'm saying is that we can't do everything. What else does Paul learn from his journey? This idea of Holy Spirit revelation in chapter 16, 9, Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man asking him for help. So he has, he has a clear vision. And um, I have never had such a clear vision. I, I don't know. But there is something about revelation, actually. There is something about when God reveals something to you that sometimes you just cannot let something go. There is something, it kind of weighs on you a bit. I don't know if that makes sense. It kind of like, you, you kind of feel it a bit. I wonder what this revelation looked like for Paul. I wonder if it was one of them things where his, it hit his emotions as well as his mind, as well as his intellect. I wonder if it, because sometimes God can do that. There's a place where he reveals stuff. And it just seems so clear. So incredibly clear. But when one person experiences that, how reliable is it? And I realise this is Paul we're talking about, and I realise that we're talking about the Bible. I'm quite a, I come from a line of engineers, so I'm kind of like, right, it's that, and right, wait a minute, we need to process some of this. How reliable was Paul's vision on his own? If Paul had gone to the other guys and said, right, I've had a vision, we're off. That's it. That's the way we should go. That's the way that we should be going, and... I alone have the wisdom and knowledge. I wonder how reliable it would have been if Paul would have gone that way. But the thing is, this revelation happened. And it was a revelation from the Holy Spirit that actually happened. And I love the fact that, off of the back of this third way of how Paul was guided, the fourth way automatically comes into play. And the fourth way is such a wonderful, brilliant thing to be able to do. The fourth way is this. He took the advice and the wisdom of godly people around him. How do we know that? In verse 10, we see that Paul shared the vision with Timothy, Paul and Silas, and by this time Luke, and between them they concluded that God had called them to preach in Macedonia. So he took the revelation and he didn't swing it about saying, I've got everything, kind of, I'm the only one with God's wisdom on this. He approached the guys that he was traveling with, godly people, godly leaders, and said, look, I've had this vision. Do you think last night I probably had too much pizza? Maybe Paul. If they had pizza then, did they have pizza in the old days? don't know. Did they kind of sit around and genuinely question what, what does this mean? How did it make you feel? What's the heart behind it? Either way, it doesn't go into great detail on the eldership meeting that happened on that day, but it does say that they concluded, I love Paul's heart. I love the fact that what he does is he takes this thing to a group of godly people and asks, 
is this a good way to go? And together, they move forward. So you've got this idea of guidance, which includes common sense, doors opened and closed, revelation, godly people, and the four working together, helping guide Paul on his way forward. It's a partnership. Go with common sense and listen. That's my Essex way of putting it. Go with common sense and listen. But what's the message that we take? Paul had a message, and we see that how it impacted Lydia was so wonderful. It talks about how Jesus softened her heart to respond to the message that, that Paul was bringing. And I, I, for me, I love it. I do. I genuinely love it because it gets me off the hook in so many different ways. It's unbelievable. Because we simply speak it, and it's down to him to do the rest. If you've ever felt guilty that someone hasn't yet become a Christian, but you've, you've told them time and time again, I think it's okay to say that that bit with them becoming a Christian wasn't yours to own. Our ownership is to speak the message and for God himself to save, for God himself to soften hearts. I think partly in some of this mission thing, for me in in the past, I felt like I've had to do it all. But then when I remember, actually, if I just go and listen with a message that I need to know, perhaps that's... Is that it? Can it be, can it be that? Oh, it's not simple, but can it be almost that simple? In reality, what does it mean? I think it's really important to do stuff well. So on Alpha, we want to do it to the best we can. We want to do the food well, we want to help people feel welcome. We want to do the talks well. That alone is not going to bring someone ultimately to become a Christian. We do our part. And can I just say the alpha leaders are superb. I just want to get that in there. I feel privileged to be part of that team actually. And, but we do what we do. And we have to pray for God to come through. And do what he does. What's the message? We're going to be rounding up in a minute. What's the message we carry? This is from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. I like a bit of Grudem. He makes it fairly simple. Here's what he says. I haven't got a three-point thing for you to carry. I don't know how those things are helpful sometimes, but I think we've got a gospel and we need to preach the full gospel. And not one that tickles our ears, but we need to tell people that there's repentance and there is a following. And we need to teach people, I believe, that it's not just about salvation. It's about following after as well, discipleship. 
Romans 3, 23 talks about all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one person that is good enough. Penalty for sin is death. Romans 6, 23. There is a penalty for our sin. But then Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, come to me. Come to me. There is an open invite to every person on this planet to simply, oh, simply, he says, come to me. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There is an invitation from Jesus himself to come to him because he has paid your penalty for you. He has paid your penalty for you and he invites you to come to him. You are forgiven. But it doesn't end there. For me, the adventure starts. The adventure starts. There's a turning. There's a turning away from the stuff that we do wrong. That doesn't happen overnight. That's a whole process. And he calls us to follow And part of that following is engaging in mission. That's the message we carry. It's very brief. You can do 12 weeks on it, preaching series, or you can just think, do you know what? That's the message we carry. And we carry it. I want to round up by, hopefully, putting some of this stuff into a really simple context. And I hope, it, I hope you kind of get the heart behind it. Partnership then. Go with common sense and listen and carry the message. Acts 16, for me, just shows me that. Get going and listen and take this message. And in my, my way of looking at it, it kind of looks like this. In the box, you've got the stuff that God owns. And in the box, you've got the stuff what we own. What I mean by own is kind of like our part in the partnership. And God's kind of part in the partnership. Overall, God's the box is kind of the whole thing. Please don't come to me at the end and say you should never put God in a box. It's just just an illustration. Please, I'm not saying that I'm putting God in a box. It's just simply, Acts 16, what does it look like to be with God on mission? What do we own? Start moving We've heard the starting pistol in Matthew, go. Therefore, go. the starting pistol went off years ago. You don't have to wait for it. We don't need, another, we don't need a prayer meeting to say, God, do we go or not? Bang, it's gone. And we don't need another book to read. It's a go. Be open to direction along the way. Know the message and speak the message. That's it. Ultimately, I think that's it. So what's God's bit in it? God's bit is this. It's him who gives us the guidance. Open, closed doors. All that kind of stuff. It's him who has to fulfill this message that we carry. And it's him who saves. It feels a bit like he gets a rough end of the deal where he has to do most of the work. But he loves the fact that we just want to do it with him. And if we make a mistake, it's all right. Get up and have another go. He's not up there thinking, 
you've done it wrong. He's simply thinking, I love doing this stuff with you. I don't have all the answers on Alpha, but I tell you what, I know I've learned a lot. I haven't got it all together with some of the questions, believe me. But uh, when we sit down and just share life with someone and kind of get a bit of an idea where they're at with it, that means the world. So God's part. Guidance, fulfill the message, save. Our part. Bang. Starting pistols gone, go. Carry the message. Know the message. Listen to him along the way. I just want to round up by just saying this. Go. Don't start another project. Who's next door? Who are you working with? Step outside of your comfort zone and just think, I'm just going to have a go. It's all right. Take a bit of common sense with it. Just, just go. And simply enjoy the adventure. I think that what the guys are going to do in Bexhill and 6 o'clock church, 10 a.m., St. Leonard's, what an adventure. What a thing to get involved in. What a thing to look forward to. What a thing to think, do you know what, I'm going to step up. This is, this is, this is with God on mission. The leadership have heard, they've used common sense. They've gone with the prophetic. All of these things, and we're saying, right, go. Now, like, we're off. This is the way we're going. And this is the message we carry in. That's the heartbeat behind the stuff of the four venues. I'm not going to end by praying. I'm going to hand back over to Paul. I'll let Paul end. But I think my heart is. I don't think we need to pray to go. We just go. I don't think, do you get what I mean by that? When, when it's our ownership, it's, God's not going to force our step. It's us who's going to say, right, I'm here. How on earth does this work? <laughs> That's okay. Actually, I am going to pray, and I'm going to hand over to Paul. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what I can learn from Acts 16. I thank you that you are a God that guides. I thank you that you are a God that speaks to us. I thank you that you are a God that doesn't just want to do it all on your own, but relationship comes through sharing mission with you. God, bring revelation on what it means for us to take ownership to go. And then in the areas where it's a good time to go, where it's a good time to say something, just drop something in our heart. Remind us of what you've called us to. God, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. We thank you that you have changed our life. I pray this morning that for those, anyone in here that does not know you in the way that we've been talking about, God, I ask that you would just soften their heart a bit. Help to kind of guide and lead their questions and all this kind of stuff. God be God. Do your bit. In Jesus' name. Amen.